Okay, Power Rangers, let's do it! Go, go, Power Rangers! <laughs> Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 31 of the Jetman with the Golden Gun, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Chojin Sentai Jetman. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts about that show with you, our listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how you doing today? I'm alright, man. Uh, I've had kind of a stressful week, I ain't gonna lie. But let's not talk about it, because that's boring and lame. Let's watch Jojen Senna Jetman. I was going to say, that's instead, cool let's, fun. let's take a, a bit of a detour out of that stressful, lame stuff into some beautiful, weird stuff. Uh, Dave, <laughs> today we are watching episode 31. It's called The Sentai Disbands. You will never guess whose fault that is. I have a guess. <laughs> um, but I'll give it to you later. I'll see if I'm right. But before we get into that, Dave. Uh, first, we have our officially award-winning opening segment. Shining in the heavens, Dave, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? So, our first star of the week, Matt, is actually a black hole because I'm looking out my window, man. Okay, listen. I know, maybe you do. Maybe at this point you do tune in to the Super Sentai Brothers to get a weekly weather report on Cleveland, Ohio. But let me just tell you, we have four inches of snow. It happened yesterday. It happened overnight. Last Sunday, not even a full week ago, last Sunday, it was no joke, like 70 degrees. We were sitting on a porch. Matt actually got a little sunburned. I did. Last Sunday, and there are four inches of snow on the ground today. Oh, actually, Dave, that was two weeks ago. Oh, yeah, sorry. That was two weeks ago. This was my first week back from school from spring break, ah, which is so why I got calendar, a little Your flip. internal calendar is completely upside down. Yeah, no, so yeah it's a little wacky. Four weeks ago, it was like 70 degrees, and the rest of that week was also nice. It wasn't like one freak weird day, and today... Uh, April the 9th, I woke up to inches of snow. Yeah, my snowplow guy came out. That's how much snow there was. I can't handle this, man. Like, listen, I'm from Cleveland. I can handle the winter. But this year has been, it's a yo-yo. It's crazy. We've been like up and down and it was like 50 degrees on Christmas Day. And then it was 70, another snow. It's awful. I am really, really super excited for spring. And I was like, oh, spring is here. Spring like, because when we were hanging, it was Easter afternoon. Your spring break. Right. It was, when you got sunburned, it was, we were sitting on a friend's porch. It was on Easter day, Easter Sunday. And we were like, oh, this is so great. Because spring, it's like it's really here now. Like this is it. Yeah, like we're like, done handle, with winter. I can handle winter when it's hanging on, but like if it comes back, that is that is unacceptable. Because yeah, I have already it, uh, like I have let my mental guard down. Yes, I got sucker punched by a late winter. It's like the opposite of an Indian summer, I guess. I'm not sure. 
But yeah, uh, there's a whole bunch of snow on the ground, and it's terrible, and I can't wait for it to melt. Although tomorrow it's supposed to be like 50 degrees or something, so hopefully it'll be better out. Yeah, and then when it finally does warm up, Dave, when it finally does warm up, actually, this is a quick station update. There's going to be a couple of weeks this summer um, where... Oh, that's right. This is cicada year in Ohio. And if you don't know what that means... cicada year. uh, Good for you. 17 years, like a brood of cicada, which are like these very loud bugs comes up out of the ground and are just everywhere for like a couple of weeks and it's they're crazy loud, loud and they're super gross so at some point in like may there might be a couple of weeks where there's just a buzzing in the background that we cannot get rid of uh <laughs> right. so it is literally a force of nature yeah like there's just, just- this, you know, listen, this will not happen again for another 17 years. So if we're still doing this show by then, we will remind you at that point. But it's not a regular <laughs> occurrence. Right. So, uh, winter is awful and cicadas are gross. Because Matt, I was reading, it's literally billions. It is billions of cicadas. And also, if you didn't know this, I had to look this up. Th- this, it's called like the seasonal cicada. Like there's some name for it. It only lives in, like, this particular part of the world. Oh, really? Like, this is not, like, a, a larger phenomenon. Like, this weird bug that lives on, like, this 17-year life cycle, it only lives here. So, you'll get to experience a little local flavor, guys. Uh, <laughs> so, what, Matt, is our, after all that awful stuff, what is our second star of the week? Our second star of the week, Dave... Um, so I have mentioned on this show before that I am a fan of the Mountain Goats. Yeah, those guys are great. Well, uh, that guy, it's the a band. Dude. I like that guy. It's it's three guys. It's mostly one guy, but it is three guys. Okay. Um, and so I was delighted to find out when I looked it up on a whim a few weeks ago that they were going to be in town. Oh, cool. So, um, I mean, did you... Well, no, because then I was immediately disappointed because I realized that, like, I had found out too late and the show was already sold out. Oh, bummer. So, I was bummed, but like the winter, I had, like, I had gotten used to being bummed about it, right? And then, then, Dave, the same thing happened where I let my guard down. Because the day of the show, which was Thursday, we were thinking about recording that night. And I texted you. I said, hey, Dave, I can't record tonight. There is a chance that I will be able to get tickets to the Mountain Goats show. Like, somebody texted me and said that, like, they knew a guy that might have a spare one. So I sent, like, a text out into the blue to some stranger offering them money for a ticket to the Mountain Goats show. I canceled the rest of my plans. I came home from work and just sat on the couch and stared at my phone for, like, an hour and a half until, like, the show was already starting and got zero response. So my big second ah. star of the week is that I came very close to very nearly seeing the Mountain Goats <laughs> in what I have been told was an excellent show. Ah, uh, it's a bummer, dude. Yeah, I did take that evening to finally finish um, the the main Mountain Goats guy's name is John Darnell, and uh, he yeah. put out a novel a couple of years ago that I had read half of about a year ago. And so, since I had missed the show, I decided to finally take that as the opportunity to read the other half of the book. 
Uh, the book's really good. It's called The Wolf in White Van. Um, it's I'm, I'm not going to spend the rest of this start telling you about a book I read. Uh, but if you are interested in that dude, his book is very good. Right on, Matt. Uh, there's, so there's what? an aspect to that book that is this like mail in game where like you like one of the characters runs huh? this game called the Trace Italian where he will like mail you instructions as to like, hey, this is what your character does. Like, you know, here are your options. How do you respond? And then you like write a letter back to him with like your description as to like how you want to proceed. And so wait, the course it's like of the a book, play. It's like a play by mail mud is what this guy kind does. Of. But like, and this is not the point of the book. It's just sort of like an engine that's kind of like tells helps tell the story of the book. But like by the end of the book, the only thing I wanted was to immediately start playing this game. I am very sad that it does not <laughs> exist in real life. Well, it does, just not in, like, an analog form. Like, you can do that. Yeah, sure. But, like, I, I wanted to have, like, that version of it for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> it's not important. And I didn't really plan to talk about it. I just Well, I as a dude that. who owns a typewriter, Matt, I feel like that would be a really excellent use of a typewriter. I mean, you how know often what I'm do saying? I get to use that typewriter? How often? Not often enough, uh, for my taste, at least. So, Matt, what is our... I'm sorry you couldn't go to the show. That is a real bummer. Uh, what is our third star of the week, though? Hopefully something fun. Um, so, our third star of the week, Dave, it's Commute Update. Commute Update! We need a new song for Commute Update. I feel bad that we're using the bus update song. I feel like it's a tease. People are going to hear the song, and it's just going to remind them of bus updates. Just remind them of the good old days. Yeah, we need a new song for Commute Update. We need a new song. 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 We need we need we need we need we need a new song. We need a new song. We need a new song for Commute Update. Commute update. But anyway, so what's uh, going on with your ridiculous commute? Okay, so I I feel like I have described in some capacity like the route that I have to take to get to work because I live not too terribly far from where I work, but the yeah. angle of approach is just weird enough that there are like. 10 different ways to actually get there. Like, depending on, like, okay. where you... Like, which direction you start in, which highways you take, like, how many, like, weird turn-down, like, random roads you go through. But generally speaking, there are, like, three or four different ways that my GPS will take me in the morning based on where the traffic traffic is heaviest to, like, try to get me there quickest, right? Uh-huh. And generally speaking, it's one of two ways. But for this last week, my GPS, I do not know what is going on because it has been sending me a new way every day. And it is sending me down roads that not only have I never been down, I did not know existed. <laughs> like, I, okay, right. I live on a numbered street, right? Which, um, you know, that, that I'm not going to tell you which number because I don't know. Who cares? Um, listen, unless you're like, you know. 
congratulations, Benedict Cumberbatch. You have Sherlocked your way into finding my address. Like, <laughs> with the three hits I've given you over the course of a year and a half. Uh, no, like, I live on a numbered street, and so a lot of the other streets around me are also numbered, right? And so generally, uh-huh. when I take a route to work, you know, it has me go down, you know, 100 and whatever. But it's having yeah. me go down streets that, like, like, oh, take a right on... Elmwood Courtway, which is not a thing that I even knew could exist. And it's like a one-way alley behind a street where, like, there's almost no room to get my car through. But my <laughs> GPS has decided that this is the way I need to go to work Like, today. this is it, man. And it's, <laughs> like, I have no idea what's going on. Because, like, I mean, it's been a little, like, rainy this week. But it's not like the weather has been so bad. Like, there aren't major highway closings. Uh, the Republican National Convention is not in town yet, so downtown isn't, like, completely shut down. By the way, that's oh, dude, something we have to talk about Dude, I am not looking eventually. forward to that. Yeah, look forward to a star or two on that one when it happens. Oh, my gosh. The whole city's going to shut down. <laughs> there is a billboard <laughs> on my commute um, as you're going into the city that says, like, ah, the Republican National Convention 2016. Like, it's not about the politics. It's about, like, bringing people to the city. Like, there's this big billboard that is just trying to get everyone okay with the idea that we're going to be overrun by, like, the Republican National Convention. Like, please, guys. Please. Please. <laughs> like, we're just like, trying just... to get some money into the city. We're not, like, supporting these this thing. It's just a convention. Please. Be cool. <laughs> Well, listen, I am, like, that will be good for the city. I ain't going to say it's not, but, like, oh, my gosh. Oh, it's also going to be an absolute nightmare. Anyway, we will talk about that, I'm sure, in a couple of months. Uh, But, yeah, that is my update. That is my commute update, is that my commute has gone completely cuckoo bananas, and I am discovering (laughs) all new parts of the city. (laughs) Well, Uh, it's like getting lost. Exactly. Uh, Except, you know. Except you have a device specifically designed to prevent that from happening. But, you know, other than that, other than that, it's just like get lost. Right. You go down a weird road, you try to find your way back, and you hope that your phone doesn't, like, send you into some sort of, like, unknown vortex that, for all I know, could be hiding in those weird alleys. I've never seen that part of town before. Um, I've lived here a long time. Speaking of uh, unknown locales and strange vortexes. What is our fourth star of the week? So, our fourth star of the week, Matt, is I have been playing a new game called Sunless Sea. Now, tell me about this game, because I have been hearing a lot about it from you and your wife and producer Mark and a few other people. Uh, But I, other than, like, the weird updates that I get from people about it, I don't actually know what the structure of the game is, and so I just get these weird updates that says, like, I have befriended the rats. Okay, <laughs> right. So this game, it's actually, it's sort of a weird convoluted journey that this game seems to have taken because it started out, like it's based in a shared world with a game called like London Underground. Okay. Which started out as like a Facebook game or something, but then became sort of a game in its own right. And then those dudes put out this game called Sunless Sea, which is in like this shared world. Uh, the story of the game is that, like, a long time ago, it's set in, like, semi-Victorian London, but, like, something happened, and London literally, like, sank underground, and now is on the shore of a vast, 
like gigantic underground ocean. Okay. All right. Uh, which is called the Z. Z-E-E. And you are a sailor on the Z. And uh, you are like just, you've got a boat, right? But the purpose of the game, like you choose your win condition. Like when do you start it? They're like, do you want to be rich? Do you want to find your father's bones? Do you want to like write the story of the sea? I'm just going to say sea because saying Z sounds weird. Sure. Like, do you want to write the story of the sea? Like, what is your win condition that you are setting for yourself? Like, out of these five that you get to pick from or whatever. And you go, and you are just, like, you're sailing around. It's like a, it's, it's a trading simulator, kind of? Because you're, like, sailing around. But you're, like, getting news from places. But the whole place is very, like, strange and sort of, like, Victorian gothy whimsical. Okay. Okay. Give give me some give me some flavor here. Give me some examples. Okay. So uh in the Sunless Sea, people can't die. Like you don't die of old age. You just get like increasingly decrepit. And so they have tomb colonies where like when you get super old, you just go to the tomb colony. And you can like you can go there and like drop people off. And they want wine because they're bored. And so you have to, like, go and find an island that is populated by sentient rats. And you, like, help the rats out. And then you drive around, like, you go around in your boat. And there's a giant mushroom. But people, like, live on the mushroom. And there's a colony. And you get a port report. And you bring the port report back to, like, the dark speckled admiral. Spectacled, rather. Not speckled. It could be both. he could be both, but he is the dark spectacled admiral, and he like kind of runs London, sort of. Um the game is super fun. It's not like a high action game. There's a lot of exploring and like reading stories and kind of interacting with people, which is cool and fun. Uh-huh. The biggest problem that I have with the game, and they tell you. Like, the very first thing you read when you start this game up is they're like, go have fun exploring. Your first captain will probably die. Okay. And, and, and you do not lose the game when you die? No, you don't lose the game when you die. What happens is, is like, when you die, you just start a new captain. And you can, like, carry some stuff over. Um, I'm on, I think, my fourth or fifth captain. And, and like, even though the game tells you, like, listen, you're going to die. Like, it's okay. I still get, like, really frustrated. Just, like, super bummed out that your dude is gone. Right. It's despite the fact, like, it is 100% built into the game. Because eventually you manage to get enough money together. You put a will together. And once you put a will together, then you can start, like, handing down, like, more and more of your possessions. So this game is played in like generational, uh, like on a generational time scale. That sounds but very cool. What what is this on? Is this a game that I just, can be playing? It's just it's on or? Steam. No, it's on Steam. It's not like a highly demanding game because, like I said, it's not like a high action. You know, like you just kind of play it. Um, the only problem that I'm having, I don't think this is a problem even actually, but. Because the game is about, like, exploration and finding stuff and, like, you just stumbled across this weird thing, what does it do? You don't know. It just does a thing. Go find out what it does. 
like you'll get someplace and the person will be like, ah, in order for you to enter, I require a dread surmise. And you're like, what's a dread surmise? I mean, like, I know what a dread surmise is, but like, what is it in the game? And it's just like, there's no explanation. Like, there's no t- very little tutorial for this game and virtually no explaining of anything. So they just give you like a and weird And so phrase, you just like, kind ah, of like are this. learning to play it by playing it. And in some ways, that's super cool and fun. And sometimes it's kind of frustrating because you're like, okay, well, I want to get this thing. How do I do it? And they're like, I don't know. Just wander around the ocean until someone explains it. Good luck. But it's a really fun game. It's really well written. Uh, it's very imaginative. Here is the easiest way I can describe it. Uh, if Edward Gorey made uh, an underground sailing game, this would be it. Okay, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, that sounds super fun. Yeah. And you know, so, uh, from my purchasing of... Uh, what's that card game I bought? Gloom? Yes, Gloom is super great. All games based on an Edward Gorey esque aesthetic. Yeah, I mean it's not based on Edward Gorey. It's just that's the vibe. Yeah. So Sunless Sea, it's super fun. It was pretty. It wasn't expensive. Uh, People should get it and play it, and then they will understand a little bit more of what I'm talking about. I feel like I haven't given you a great explanation of the game, and the truth of that is, is I don't think that I can because I'm just. I'm not totally sure what I'm doing, (laughs) Um, but I can tell you that I'm having fun. Uh, There's a little bit of like repetitiveness at the beginning. Just grind through it. Just push through. uh, Things get better. So that's Sunless Sea. Matt, what is our uh, fifth and final star of the week? Dave, this past Sunday, 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 it was the grandest stage of them all, Dave. It was the showcase of the mortals. It was the most spectacular night in sports entertainment. It was WrestleMania. Now, Dave, you did oh, not Oh, man, how was it? Right? Right. I mean, I feel like I would have known if you had watched WrestleMania, because you probably would have done it with me. Yes, I would have. I did not. But how was it? Um, Very mixed, uh, but generally <laughs> great. So, let me... Okay. Um, Again, we are... I think I've mentioned WrestleMania. Whenever I mention wrestling on this show, like we are not primarily or even secondarily a uh, a wrestling program, and I know that there are many people who listen to this show who do not also watch wrestling. I don't know why you right. people don't watch wrestling. You're crazy, but I know that you <laughs> exist. Uh, so I'm not going to drag this out too terribly long. Uh, but let me give you a couple of highlights. Go. Okay, um, they got rid of the old terrible Divas Championship belt, and now it's just cool. the Women's Championship belt, and it looks like an actual oh, championship belt, and not like a weird toy that's been bedazzled with like glittery butterflies. It's no, great. that's awesome. Uh, it's basically just a palette swap on the like WWE Championship. Uh, fantastic, and the match, the women's match to like determine the champion was a triple threat match between Charlotte, Sasha Banks, Becky Lynch. Dave, I don't know if you recall. Okay, I do know that you recall. Yeah, no, I know some of those. Not all of them, but I know some of those names. Well, yeah, like we saw two-thirds of that match in a fatal four-way when NXT was in Cleveland, when we went to the Agora. Like, remember how great that match was? Yes, it was awesome. I think we talked about that on the show. Um, 
and I would tell you to go watch it, but it was a house show, so you can't watch it. Um, so if you happen to have been there, then you know how good it was. Um, anyway, imagine that, but like at WrestleMania. It was spectacular. Awesome. The finish, listen, the finish was what it was. Uh, Ric Flair interfered. Um, I really wish that like 2016 Ric Flair wasn't so awful that he was retroactively making me hate 1985 Ric Flair, but that's what he's doing. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the worst, but you know, he can't be around forever. I don't think yeah. he can like walk much longer, which is not a good thing. It's very sad for that to have happened to 2000, I'm sorry, 1985 Ric Flair. Right. If it happens to 2016 Ric Flair, I'm going to be a little glad. Anyway, mm. um, there was a match with The Undertaker because it was WrestleMania. Dave, he was wrestling Shane of McMahon. Of course. Uh, Whoa, really? Shane McMahon is uh, Vince McMahon's son, as you may have guessed from his name. Um, I did? Shane, if you've never or watched rather, him wrestle, knew, but... like back in the day, did just like insane bonkers stunts and would just like jump off of stuff, like very high things. I don't know why. I didn't watch wrestling back in the day. I think he was trying to get people to like take him seriously because he was the boss's son. And so he had to go to extreme lengths to do so. Uh, but Dave, Shane McMahon is like, I think he's like 46 now. Like he came okay. out to wow. the ring like with his, with his three sons. And he just looked like a proud dad who had finished coaching a little league game. Like that is that dude that came out. Um, and okay. then by the end of the match, he jumped off the hell in the cell, uh, through a table, which is like 20 feet in the air. Um, whoa. Yeah. Onto a table that like, you know, basically like turned to dust underneath his flailing body. <laughs> um, it was <laughs> astonishing. I did not think, like, I figured that he was still going to do some sort of crazy stuff. I did not anticipate him doing that crazy thing. Or rather, okay, I did anticipate him doing it because why would you give like why would you give him a match with a very tall thing to jump off of if he wasn't going to jump off of that very right, tall thing? Obviously, he's going to do that, but but when he oh. did that thing, it was astonishing. Like just to like <laughs> the moment before <laughs> he did it, he's just like standing on top of the cage, and you could just imagine like, him thinking like, "Why, why did I agree to this? <laughs> I'm not a young man." <laughs> Like okay, man. So and then he jumped off the cage. It was great. <laughs> so highlight this for me. Shane McMahon jumps off like a twenty foot cage through a table. Yes. Oh, but uh, the Undertaker was on that table, so he was trying to oh, drop an okay. elbow onto the Undertaker. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, because okay. The, so, but the problem is that the Undertaker is like I don't know a million years old. Um, and so, like, if Shane McMahon had actually landed on him, I'm pretty sure the Undertaker's, like, brittle body would have just snapped in half. Uh, so he rolled out of the way last minute. Or last second, actually. Like, he was on the table when Shane jumped off of the cage, and he was gone by the time Shane landed. Wow. Um. That's just, that's a lot. That's a lot going on, man. Hey, listen, you know, he's, he is an old man, but he's still the Undertaker. Like, you know, he can move. Uh... For a while, at least. <laughs> and so Shane was, you know, basically ruined by this, uh, and Undertaker beat him. Uh, which is weird, because the whole point of that match was that if Shane won, he would be given, like, he would become the general manager of Monday Night Raw. And so he lost, and so he wasn't going to get the, to be able to take control of Monday Night Raw. And then the next morning, or the next evening, rather, on Monday Night Raw, 
Vince McMahon put Shane in charge of Monday Night Raw. So I really don't know what is happening, but uh, it was incredible. Anyway. Yeah, no, that sounds really fun. Next year, next year, I'm going to get together and I will watch WrestleMania with you. It'll be super fun. Uh, so, oh, Dave, Matt. Real, I, I'm not done. I've got one more thing to say. Oh, sorry, man. No, no, no. Go for it. The main event was very boring. Um, uh, Roman Reigns beat Triple H, which is fine. Like, whatever. Triple H can't be the champ forever because he's not really an active, like, roster dude. And they were going to put Roman Reigns at the top at some point anyway. They did it this time. And actually, I do really like Roman Reigns. I think he's gotten a very bad rap for reasons that I'm still a little hazy on. But, like, he's a cool dude. He's, like, a giant, handsome muscle man that, like, jumps at people and punches them in the face. It's great. Well, that uh, sounds, yeah, that sounds exactly what the sort of thing that you want out of a wrestler, but right? Dave. Is the, that not? The entrances. Roman Reigns' entrance was kind of boring. But uh, Triple H's entrance, which is always amazing, this year featured the introduction of Lich Queen Stephanie McMahon seated upon her throne of skulls. What? Um, and she just like so she has this like skull mask with a crown, which is generally speaking what uh Triple H comes out wearing during uh, a at skull mask with a crown. That's his WrestleMania entrance attire. Is some sort of variation on that? Uh, last year the skull was like a robot skull because he was doing like a Terminator thing. Anyway, sure. But this year it was Stephanie wearing the skull mask with the crown, and like she had like this whole like leather outfit with like chain mail and spikes and she started going off on this monologue about how like they are in charge and the people should grovel before them and like beg for the crumbs that they offer dude go like i this is a blanket statement that you can say from any time that that triple h is at wrestlemania go watch triple h's entrance at wrestlemania it was great uh, and with uh, that, all Dave, right, I will get right on that. <laughs> with that, before you watch that, Dave, we are going to watch episode 31, Chojin Sentai Jetman, uh, the Sentai Disbands. Let's do it. Okay, welcome back. So, we have just finished watching episode 31, the Sentai Disbands, and before we get into this week's episode... <laughs> I feel like it's been a while, Dave, since we have, like, told people what is happening on a grander scale. So if this is... That is a good point. If yeah. If this is for some reason your first episode, it's it's the second part of a two-parter, and a lot has been going on. So let's just give you a recap as to who all the players are, because that's going to be important this week, okay? Yeah. Okay, go for it. Okay, so our heroes are Ryu, the Red Ranger... Um, uh, Red Hawk, I think. The Red Hawk. You know, you would think that 31 episodes in, I would be able to just refer to him as Red Hawk and not the Red Jetman. Uh, cause never at any point in the show do they call him the Red Jetman. Right. It's only ever Red Hawk. So, yes. our heroes. So, okay. So we've got Ryu. Ryu is our super cop. He is the Red Hawk, previously super cop in love with Rie who had also been recruited to join the Jetman before things went south, and she was sucked out into the vast void of space. Now, right. Ryu is only in love with her memory and justice. Our other members of the Jetman are Raita, the Yellow Owl, who was previously a farmer, Kauri, the White Swan, who was and continues to be a wealthy socialite, I guess? Yes, recently... 
uh, Kauri the White Swan has finally fallen in love with Guy the Black Condor, who is a quote-unquote cool guy. Uh, he plays the saxophone in jazz clubs. He plays pool in bars. He wears leather gloves and a, like, floral shirt, silk shirt that is buttoned all the way up to his throat. He rides a motorcycle. He is that guy. He is that guy. And he has been in love with Kauri since episode one, I think. Or as soon as they met, basically. And she, however, has been in love with Ryu. As we already mentioned, Ryu is only in love with Justice and the memory of his dead girlfriend. But last episode, Guy and Kauri finally get together. And they are now in love. Awesome. Our last Jetman is Akko, who is a high school student, and she is the Blue Sparrow. Our enemies are called the Virum, and they are from the Virum dimension, and they are a group of interdimensional travelers who just kind of like go from dimension to dimension, pillaging and looting and destroying. And Earth is their latest target. Uh, they're sort of the guy who presumes to be in charge of those four is Radigate. Radigate has a big headdress and blue skin, and he's a jerk. <laughs> Can you think of any other ways to describe Radigate, Dave? One time he turned into a human. That was weird. Yeah, that was weird for him and us, actually. The other Virum commanders are, are Gray, who is a crazy robot, and Tran, who is like a teenager with like a video game hand. I'm not exactly sure how to explain Tran. And finally, Maria. Now, there's something a little bit weird about Maria is that she is played by the same actress who played Rie, which, if you will recall from a moment ago, is Ryu's dead girlfriend. We don't know what's up with that. They're just played by the same actress. That's it. And finally, leading the Jetman, or at least advising the Jetman, uh, is the chief. Uh, the chief is hard as nails. She oh, is the, the lady who runs Sky Camp and ultimately the J program, which is like what the Jetmen are run out of. Right. She is sort of responsible for all of their like logistics and training and all sorts of stuff like that. The and chief also is great. Fighting the giant robots, which is important to this episode. Super important. So up until this point, up until last episode, the entire conflict of this show has been between the Jetman on one side and the Virum on the other. However, in the last episode, we have seen two new players enter the game, Lords Ramon and Lord Gorg, who are like demons from the beginning of time on Earth. They have been revived by Radigat, ostensibly with the purpose that they will serve him in destroying humanity. I think yes. that catches us up. Right, Matt? I think, I think we're good. So, as we start off, we get a little bit of recap of the previous episode when Guy was saving Kauri from those two demons who were coming back. Uh, they were trying to suck the blood out of Kauri to revive themselves. Guy pulls a switchblade out of his pocket, cuts his hand, like offers up his own blood, which... We've they already take. seen last episode, and you've probably heard last episode. Although it did occur to me, and I don't think I mentioned it last week. Does that mean the guy just like rolls around with a switchblade? I guess that. Yeah, I guess that's in character. I was gonna say, man, when he pulled it out, I did not think twice. I was like, oh, that just must be guy's switchblade. Of course, he has that. Why it makes total it sense that he would. Okay, so as the actual new footage for this episode starts, we're in the Viron dimension. 
Gray is sitting at a desk, and you think at first that he is like doing a tarot card reading because he's holding tarot cards. Then yeah, the camera he's pans back, and he's just like building a house of cards out of them, which seems now, like a weird exercise. This is actually a pretty cool thing, Matt. I dug this a lot. Because what we get is a camera shot that through the house of cards, we see Radigat and these two demon lords with the implication, I guess, that whatever is happening is a figurative house of cards, right? Yeah. And then, so Radigat is saying to the two demon lords, he says, I have revived you and you will serve me and help us destroy humanity. And the demon lords say, what are you talking about? Humanity is totally great. And anyone who destroys humanity is our enemy. And Radigat like blasts them with an energy bolt. And they just, I think, reflect it. Right. They just bounce it straight back at him and he gets blown the heck up. Yes, and he falls into the House of Cards, which immediately collapses. Symbolism. Symbolism. And so so the two demon lords leave, (laughs) right? And Maria is like, dude, Radigat, you have gone through all of this effort, and the only thing that you have managed to do is create new enemies for us. You idiot. You're the worst. And she <laughs> she says, you're not allowed to go outside anymore. Like, your outside privileges are revoked. Right. You uh, are until not you, inside cat. Right. Until you think about what you've done, I guess. Yeah. Like, you are grounded. And, like, I am going to go take care of this situation. Yeah. So, who knows what's going on? Because Lord Gorg and Lord Ramon are like, anyone who mocks wounds humanity is our enemy. And then we get a bunch of shots of this Lord's weird montage. Yes. Okay. So first of all, I'm just going to admit I don't know which one of these dudes is Lord Gorg and which one is Lord Ramon. Oh, I don't either. I knew at the end of last episode, but I have completely forgotten. And this episode, I don't think made any effort to make it clear. Nah, they do not. They never refer to these guys by name. I think ever, even each other. Like they don't even call each other by name. So we get either Lord Gorg or Lord Ramon. There's the two of them. And we just get a big montage of them going around saving people. Yeah, like there's these kids who are standing in the street who are about to get run down by a truck. And like Gore Ramon like jumps out, says like, aha, like points his finger at the truck. The truck stops and starts driving backwards. And he says to the children, like, you must stay alive. And he zaps them with this like golden light. And then he disappears. Yes, and then we get the same thing, effectively, is that the other one saves a bunch of miners from a rock slide, and then one of them saves a dude who is being brought to an ambulance. Yeah, and every like time just, like, heal the sick. Yeah, every time they show up, they save whoever is in danger, and then they flash them with this golden light and then disappear. At one point, somebody says, God saved me, which... Listen, I don't know what things are like in the universe of the Jetman, but if you look at either Gorg or Ramon and thinks, oh, of course that's what God looks like. Again, I, I mean, I guess in Zhu Ranger, God is a giant robot that is made up of five smaller giant robots. So never mind. <laughs> Literally anything is possible. <laughs> that, yeah, man, that might not be a real like useful line of questioning. Okay, so we go from there to Sky Camp. And the it's Ryu and Raita and Akko, and they are working on Tetra Boy, which we find out is the name of their newest robot. They've already got two giant robots, Jet Icarus and Jet Garuda, 
for those of you who are just joining us. And they are working on a third giant robot, which again is called Tetra Boy, apparently. Now, Guy and Kauri are gone. They're not there helping. And everyone's looking around. Where's Guy? Where's Kauri? Uh, and where they are is just like at a ranch on horseback riding in circles. Oh, I just assumed that that was Kauri's house because she's crazy rich. Oh, yeah, it probably is. They probably didn't like, you know, go to a horse stable and say, hey, can we borrow one of your horses for a romantic afternoon? Right. So what we got is they're not on two horses, by the way. They're both on the same horse and they're sort of riding around. And Kauri is saying to Guy, she says, hey, do you remember when you said that eventually I would fall in love with you? I guess you were right. And then we flash over to Guy and he's got this look on his face, and I don't know if like the actor is just really nervous about being on horses or what, <laughs> but the look on the guy's face, and I know this isn't true, because later he's, he's still excited, but the look on Guy's face is like, seems to indicate that he thought he would be really into Kauri being in love with him and has grossly overestimated how cool that would be and is now does, kind of regretting his decision. He does absolutely have that face. I don't think it's the case. I think that what his face is trying to convey is that, like, he... Like, I think he's still kind of, like, in disbelief that it actually happened. Yeah, that's what I think is supposed to be happening. But that is but absolutely again. not what his face is communicating. <laughs> Okay, so like, I now thought this we... was going to be cool, and now I'm on a horse, and I really don't know how we got from right. There to He's here. like, why did I think that this would be good? This is a horse riding chick. I just want to be in a bar playing my saxophone. So we leave there, but again, he he is he's very excited. But we leave there, and we go around to all the different people that Lords Gorg and Ramon have saved, and they sort of flash with light. And then there's a little animation, and then they turn into a pineapple with, like, the green, with the leaves cut off. It's just, like, a little round of pineapple. And I think it's not supposed to clearly be pineapple, but it's very clearly pineapple. Dude, I don't, I don't see how they could guess that it would look like anything other than a pineapple. Like, it is... Listen, guys. I mean, you've seen pictures of pineapples. It's a distinctive fruit. Like... <laughs> These and are just human done anything. beings that have been turned into pineapples, straight up. And they're like S- pineapples next to, you know, whatever the people were holding. Or like a pineapple with a hard hat, like, sitting next to it. But pineapples yes. nonetheless. So, what happens? And now we find out, actually, why these demon lords are so jazzed about uh, saving humanity and making sure that people stay alive. Because one of them walks up, and he picks up a pineapple... And he takes a big bite out of it, and then a straw pokes out of the mouth hole of the mask into the pineapple and starts sucking pineapple juice out of it. And he says, humans turn into the most delicious source of energy, which is apparently a pineapple. So these demon lords, they're like, they are vampires, maybe, except that they don't drink blood. So they have to transform their human prey into fruit, and then they suck it out as though they are, like, a bug, like, sipping on some sweet, sweet nectar. Okay, so my assumption here has gotta be that we are not supposed to recognize these as pineapples, and that they have just turned humans into Energon, basically. 
I yeah, think that's I, I what's that supposed to be happening. Otherwise, like, pineapples are available. You can just go to the <laughs> store. Yeah, my assumption is that they have turned people into, like, Energon balls, and that the pineapple juice is supposed to be, like, golden life essence that is being sucked out of this energy womb or something. Or maybe, I, like, I you know, eons this ago. Is very... Maybe eons ago, like, pineapples just weren't available in Japan. Because I know that, like, pineapples were extremely d- expensive in Japan. It's like a whole... There's a whole thing about that, and I don't remember the details, so I'm not going to try to explain it. But there's something about, like, pineapples are some oh, sort dude. of, Oh, like... dude. Pineapples were crazy expensive everywhere. This is why, like, not to go into, like, a historical architecture lesson or anything, but if you ever just see pineapples carved in, like, old British woodwork and ask yourself, like, why is there a pineapple carved into this table from England from, like, 1700? It's because pineapples were so insanely expensive that uh, they just kind of became symbols of, like, wealth and prosperity in general. So, like, you could... Like, ages ago, they were just really hard to come by, and so these two demon lords just... that they, they just didn't assume that it would be at the store. They're like, no, pineapples are incredibly difficult to come by. Literally, <laughs> the only way to do it is to zap people with golden light and transform them. Like, if they had just stopped by the supermarket before doing all this, this it's whole possible thing could have they been. could just go and chill with drier dimension. Right, this whole thing could have been avoided. Uh, all Lords Gorgon Ramon really want are some pina coladas. Yeah, listen, <laughs> they like pina coladas. Do they like getting caught in the rain, would you guess? Sure. Um, they're not into health food. They're into champagne. <laughs> okay. So they are, they are eating some humans with their extended straw mouths. And the jet, ran, the jet men show up, and then the Lords Gorgon Ramon sort of launch into their diatribe. And they're like, we are humanity's ancestors. We have, like, created all these forms of life on Earth. We're in charge now. Humans are a source of energy. You know, kind of deal with it. Right, get bent. Because at right. first, the jet men show up and say, Viram, you need to stop. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We are not those Hold jerks. up. Yeah, those guys are dumb and lame. We're Lords Gorgon Ramon. We run the show. So <laughs> the Rangers, they cross-change. They turn to the Jetmen. They attack the Lords. The Lords... Okay, I know I have said before and described previous fights as saying that like whoever is attacking just doesn't care. The Lords Gorgon Ramon bring like a whole new level to that game. Not only do they not care that they're being attacked... Attacks are actually bouncing off of them and hitting the Jetmen back. Yeah, it is a whole new level of, like, no-selling the attack. Right. So, uh, like, I, one of the lore demon lords, like, breaks Ryu's bringer sword. Just, like, yeah, he just, right like, karate half. chops it. The um, uh, Akko and Raita try to uh, punch with their wind gauntlets. They do, like, a simultaneous leaping punch and bounce off this dude's chest. Then I one of the one of them, I'm just going to say it's Ramon. Uh one of them manifests bone daggers, I guess, and hurls them at the jetmen, and that's awesome. And then the other one does something that's even cooler. 
because he runs and he does like a jump. And then the in the middle of the jump, he does a somersault. And when he turn, does the somersault, he turns into a fireball and launches himself at the Jetmen. It's amazing. So the three Jetmen that are at the fight are like, dudes, where are Guy and Cowrie? Like, this is one of those things that we should all be here for. So they try to get in touch with him. And Guy and Cowrie are on their way. Like, they're on a motorcycle. They're driving towards the fight. Uh, but they do not get there in time because the other three Jetmen, like, in desperation, summon the Jet Striker. They try to shoot them with, like, their giant fire bazooka. But as we have seen previously, um, our Demon Lord pals can just reflect these huge energy balls. And it just shoots it straight back at those dudes and they explode and that is the end of the fight. Right. So we flash from there to Sky Camp. Because, dude, I will never get tired of the fact that these fights just end and everyone walks away, despite what clearly should have happened is that the Lords Gorgon Ramon just killed the Jetmen. But that doesn't happen for reasons that are literally... Why that doesn't happen, they just bounce. Yeah, they're just good. So we're back at Sky Camp and they're tending the wounds of the people who got injured. And uh, Guy and Kyrie have arrived at this point. And Ryu is like, hey... Where were you guys? Uh, if you were there, we would have had a chance. Which, Ryu, that's clearly not true. But that's, I guess, what he's telling himself to make him feel better. He says, if you were here, we would have had a chance. It's your fault that we'd lost. And they kind of, like, they sort of don't answer him. And eventually he says, like, dudes, you need to, like, put your emotions, like, don't get carried away with your emotions. You are warriors. You must, like, sacrifice all else for the sake of warrior-ing. And this is this thing that Ryu does. I think sometimes Ryu forgets that he was the only volunteer in the Jetmen, that everybody else is only in the Jetmen because they happened to have gotten zapped with Burdonic energy. Right. Because like, he keeps, he's like, not, like, you know, Guy was not a policeman. He does not want to be here. He has told you that a billion times. Right. And so he says, dude, Guy says, he says, hey, we're warriors. Yeah, sure. But are warriors not allowed to love? I've had Ryu's enough of you telling basically me. basically like, no, nah, man. <laughs> yeah. Ryu's got no time for love. Uh, he only has time for justice. Well, he does so, love justice. He loves it so much. And so Guy is just like, fine, we're leaving. It's like, we're out of here. So he grabs Kauri. He says, come on, Kauri, we're leaving. And no, they just Kauri go. does not seem as into leaving. Uh, Guy definitely does that, like, like, terrible boyfriend thing where he just grabs her wrist and starts walking away. Yeah, it's not a great moment for Guy... But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that like, he's still learning how to be a good dude. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. And so he and Kauri walk out. They kind of storm out. They walk outside to Guy's motorcycle. They get onto the motorcycle. And Raita and Akka are kind of chasing after them. Like, guys, where are you going? No, please don't leave. We're all in this together. And Guy says, I'll show you how in this I am. And he takes off his cross changer. And maybe Kauri's, but I'm not sure and gives them to Raita, and drives away. So they're out. So Ryu runs up, is like, hey, what happened? And Raita, poor sweet Raita, poor, poor sweet, sweet Raita. simple Raita, he's just like holding these cross-changers in disbelief. He's like, I think, I mean, there's no way, but 
I think Guy just quit the team. And it's like, dude, Raita, this is minimum, like, the fifth time you have seen Guy quit the team. <laughs> you should not be approaching this with this much surprise at this point. Yeah. So... That's like being super shocked that the monster got giant. Right. Like, you should see that coming at this stage in the game. So, You are lucky that this time he did not, like, literally throw his cross changer in the trash or, like, set it on fire. (laughs) Right. At least he gave it to you this time. Yeah, it's like, hold this for me. I'll be back next episode. So, while they are reeling from this emotional blow, Maria shows up. She attacks them. But then the demon lords show up and they say, we're kind of sick of all of you guys, parentheses, Jetman and the Viram and parentheses, messing with us. So we're just going to kill all of you now, kind of while you're together. So they kind of pull their hands together. They pull kind of a Wonder Twins move and then they blast the Jetman and Maria with a bolt of energy. So the the Jetman get a affected regularly like you do when you get zapped with energy like there's an explosion you do a backflip you know energy Um, yeah like how it happens to everyone sure but when maria gets zapped with the energy something very different happens yeah she is then surrounded by like a nimbus of energy and she starts kind of freaking out and holding her head and then there's no, like a glowy her giant headdress. Yeah, her giant like Mushroom Kingdom headdress. And then there's like a glowy animated transformation, and Maria turns into Rie. Yes. So now we finally have confirmation. Lo, these many episodes into the show, uh, right? That they do not just look similar. They are not the same person from different dimensions. Maria is Rie. So, we flash real quickly to the Vibram dimension. Radigat grimaces, because he is, like, watching this with some sort of, like, telescreen thing. And he's like, ow, dang. So, he has done something. Like, whatever is up with Maria slash Rie, Radigat has done that. Right, and now he sees that, like, all his hard work is being reversed, and he is angry about it. So, we cut back to the fight, and the... Uh, Gorg and Ramon are about to zap Maria again. Well, I'm sorry, zap Rie now to kill her. But Ryu, recognizing that it's Rie, like runs over, grabs her, and like jumps off of a cliff into a lake to avoid getting zapped. Oh, I thought that they got kind of blasted into the lake. But either way, they go off a cliff that could into a yeah, into a lake. We go back to Sky Camp. Ako and Raita are fine. Again, just like, I don't know why, but they're totally okay. Raita is wondering what they're going to do because everyone is gone. And now what that means is, like, we're going to see in a second that Ryu is, like, walking out of this lake that he's been knocked into. So the fact that Raita is like, man, where is Ryu, means that he did not bother to go look after he got knocked out. Like... He saw the you dude know, go into the lake. It's like, all right, well, I'm just going to head back to Sky Camp and wait for you to meet us there. Okay, well, actually, maybe that does make a little sense. Maybe that's the explanation as to why Raita and Aka were back at Sky Camp. Because they took that opportunity of Maria slash Ryu slash Rie being attacked to just book it. 
And now they're back at Sky I mean, honestly, as I have said before, that makes as much sense as anything. (laughs) I feel like we say that maybe minimum once an episode. So, right to Anaka were freaking out. Right to say, like, where's Ryu? What are we going to do without him? Guy and Kaori are gone too. And the chief says, listen, what you need to focus on right now is finishing Tetra Boy. Right. That like, has got to be the priority. Will come back. Like, you have to yeah. trust that Ryu is going to come back. Doesn't say anything about Guy and Kaori. I think the chief might sort of be writing them off at the moment. But she says, listen, you guys have got to finish Tetra Boy. That's what's got to happen right now. We flash over to the lake. And Ryu is sort of walk-dragging Rie out of the lake. It's totally her. Like, this is not a fake-out. She kind of wakes up and says, Oh my gosh, Ryu, it's you. What have I been doing all this time? What's going on? Where am I? I don't remember anything. We get our favorite flashback, because she does not remember anything since that fateful day that she was sucked through... Uh, a hole in the space station wall into the unforgiving void of space. So we get to see that shot again. Again. We should have, and... at some point, we should have started keeping track of how many times we saw that shot in this show. We, dude, it's so many. So Ryu, horking up maybe the biggest lie he's ever told, says, Ah, you were sleeping. It's okay. Like, everything's going to be fine. Yeah, like, you, it's, you know, all is well. You're yeah, fine it's, now. Yeah, it's cool. Let's, you were asleep. Let's just, don't let's ask just how you, don't ask how you ended up in the lake. Uh, don't worry about it. It's fine. We're all fine. We're all fine here. So she how, says, how I, she says, I was dreaming and I dreamed I was calling your name, which she sort of was. Because Maria is yelling at the Jetman all the time. Oh, like 24-7. Yeah, and Ryu <laughs> says, I was I was calling for you too. But then a giant demon lord appears, and Rie freaks out, very reasonably so. She runs, and Ryu Which, again, says... also extremely reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's just like, she has no idea what's going on. She doesn't have Bredonic power. She's not a Jetman. She has, remembers nothing. And so Ryu cross changes. Does he cross change? I think he cross changes. Yeah, he cross changes and he summons Jet Icarus. So we cut to Sky Camp where Jet Icarus just like starts to launch out of the like factory warehouse room where he's chilling. And Raita is thrilled. He's like, oh, okay. Like Ryu is calling Jet Icarus. That means he's in a fight somewhere. That means that he hasn't abandoned us and we should go help him. So he yes. and Akko hop into Jet Garuda, and they follow afterwards, leaving the chief yeah. back at Sky Camp to put the finishing touches on Tetra Boy. Okay, that is presumably what she's doing. They never say that. We'll get to my complaint about this in just a mo. So, uh, Jet Icarus launches, Akko and Raita launch Jet Garuda. They arrive. They do like a real quick little fight. And then they say, listen, we need Kauri and Guy to make great Icarus. What are we going to do? Like, we cannot handle this dude without being great Icarus. Yeah, and it's then weird we... because this is something that they've never really mentioned before. But apparently you need all five of them there to not to operate both robots, but to combine them. You need all five. 
you know, there's a lot of stuff that's it's kind of like, I feel like it exists in the sidelines of Jetman that you need all five of them to do X. And they talk about it a lot in the beginning, man. You need the power of five, right? Yeah. And so this is one of those things. You need the power of five to combine Jet Garuda and Jet Icarus to form Great Icarus. Uh, we get a quick shot of the chief. And again, they didn't explain what she was doing because what I thought was that Raita and Akko were finishing Tetra Boy. And then we just see the chief and she's got some paper and a pencil and a calculator. And she's it looks like she's just doing some accounting, but like super intense accounting. Yeah, like action accounting. Right. So we flash back to the the fight. The chief does math. Right. (laughs) So we flash back to the fight. Radigat has now arrived from the Viram dimension, and he appears in front of Rie, and he says, Maria, you must come back to me. And she says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know who you are. And she's, you know, she's freaking out. And he says, no, you're confused. You must come back. And she freaks out some more. And then he zaps her with some sort of energy bolt. And then she turns back into Maria. So very obviously, whatever is going on... Like, I don't get Radigat's play here. Because Maria does not like Radigat at all. Yeah, I don't know why he's so into having her around. If all she does is, like, undermine him. But I guess... Man, I don't know. Radigat is full of bad plans. (laughs) Right. So we go back to the chief who's doing some more action math. Now she's on a computer. She's doing action typing. Right. And then there's some, we get some like gobbledygook on the screen. And then the screen just flashes like a big (laughs) multicolored animation that just says, okay. It's amazing. I, and then she says, Tetra Boy is complete. I love the idea. This might be my favorite part of the episode so far. I love the idea that it has been built into the programming of Tetra Boy that whenever the computation's complete, somebody has taken the time to include a big flashing celebratory okay to let you know that the computation is done. Honestly, I could use that in a lot more of my computer (laughs) day-to-day. Like you hit save and the whole screen just flashes okay. So Tetra Boy is complete. So he doesn't fly up out of Sky Camp. He just knocks down all the scaffolding that's surrounding him and just runs. It's so great because he just like, he comes to life and then he just starts shoving things over. Because there's nobody piloting Tetra Boy. Yeah, so this is actually a little bit unique in that Tetra Boy appears to be an autonomous robot. He's not being piloted by anybody. He is just kind of doing his thing. So Tetra Boy is very energetic. Yeah, like, I, I feel like there's a very good reason they did not call it Tetra Man. Like, this is a very, like, youthful energy. He shows up to the fight. He does fly eventually. Like, he flies over to the fight. And when he lands, he just starts, like, running around very quickly. And when I say running around very quickly, I mean running at a normal speed. But they have, like cranked up the speed of the footage to make it look like he's running very quickly. Right. I think the Tetra Boy is supposed to have super speed, except it's still just a dude in a very clunky robot suit. <laughs> and so he's trying to be like real quick and jumpy, but the suit itself is just not very responsive. But and so what you get is like a sort of like jerky shuffling around and he does that thing that Akko does where he moves quickly near someone long enough that they get confused and fall over. 
Yeah. So he does punch them. Like he's he sort of does like a lot of jabs and like kicking people in the shins and just running around in circles. It's it's kind of weird compared to how Jet Icarus and Jet Garuda fight. Like Tetra Boy is completely his own deal. Yes. And then he does Okay. So sorry. So he has taken Lord Gorg down to like, you know, maybe 10% health, right? And then I forget exactly. Oh, sorry. Then we flash back to the chief. And the chief says, go Tetra Buster. Yes, Tetra Boy. Tetra Boy does a backflip, right? Mid backflip. He sort of like his arms shoot forward and he kind of like bends in half and then his feet come off and flip somewhere else and tetra boy turns into a giant robot sized four barrel shoulder cannon which lands on jet icarus who then uses it to blast lord gorg into oblivion or potentially lord ramon or (laughs) one of the two not sure um, oh my gosh. Tetra Boy, I want this toy. I want this toy. I, I, I think that was the point of this episode, Dave. Um, <laughs> right. It was so good. And it'd be also because now you find out why he's called Tetra Boy. He's got four cannons. Yes. Oh, uh, I assumed he was Tetra Boy because he's... big mystery. Yeah, I f- honestly thought it was because he was the fourth robot. But he's the third robot. Well, if you count Great Icarus as an, it's an individual robot, he's the fourth oh, robot. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, Lord Gorg or Ramon goes down. We And then that's it for that scene. We flash back to the sort of lakeside. So this is after the fight. And Ryu, by himself, I'm not really sure why no one else is helping, but Ryu by himself is just running around calling for Rie trying to, you know, find his girlfriend that he assumed was dead and now is not and whatever. Maria arrives and attacks. So Ryu goes down and he looks up and there is Maria in all of her virum glory. And he does not like this at all. Yeah. He sort of, you know, reasonably kind of freaks out and he says, Maria, or Rie, rather, says, sorry. He says, Rie, you have to remember. You have to remember, like, what has happened. And Maria says, like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So and clearly, she just attacks like, him. Rie and Maria have no knowledge of each other. Right. But they have, like, Rie- a shared body, but that's right. it. So, like, but now Ryu knows that Rie's in there. So he is, like, he is just begging her to come back. And she continues to, like, attack him with an energy whip. And that's basically the end of the episode. It ends, like, by the side of the lake, like, with Ryu down and Rie standing on his face. And that is the episode. Yep. That's it. So, cliffhanger, I guess? Uh, Dave, what was your high point this week? (sighs) Man. This was a crazy episode. Uh, I think my high point is that Tetra Boy does not combine with another robot to make like a new bigger robot. He just transforms into a giant four-barreled like cannon thing. Yeah, I that's the first kind time, of incredible. I remember the first time I saw Tetra Boy. I was like, oh, he's not using any weapons. And then I was like, oh, Tetra Boy is the weapon. He just also punches people. 
Yeah, uh, it's pretty sweet. How about you, man? Listen, anytime that you have a gun that can also punch people, that is a good, good TV show. Right, it's like a good guy, Megatron. It's incredible. So how about you, man? What was your uh, high point for the episode? I think my high point was when I realized that all of the people were getting turned into pineapples. Because it was just (laughs) such a beautiful moment that I was not expecting. Like, I knew that something was up, but the thing that I thought was up was miles away from, oh, now these people get turned into fruit and I have a bendy straw come out of my mouth. (laughs) Okay, so what is your low point? Man, uh, I think my low point for this episode, I'm reaching, man, because this was a doozy. I think it's just gotta be the continued smash cuts that leave out like the last 15 seconds of a scene. We've talked about it before and it just continues to kind of drive me nuts. It is kind of infuriating, but I mean, you just have to, I, you really just have to. No, I know. Like it's just part of the show. It's, there's just a little bit where I'm, come on, man. Couldn't you just show me three seconds of them running or escaping or something? Uh, and the answer is no, but whatevs. Uh, how about you? Okay. Uh, remember earlier in the episode when, we, as sort of an aside, we mentioned that one of the demon lords broke Ryu's sword in half? Oh, yeah. I feel like a similar thing happened in Jetman, and they needed to take, like, two episodes to, like, rebuild or reclaim their weapons. Where in this one, it's like, oh, yeah, my sword's broken, whatever. And I don't think it was ever referenced again. And I think he uses that sword later in the episode. Or if he doesn't, I don't think that we're going to have, like, an issue with it being broken. He's just like going to get a gonna new go one, the next one or, like, put on some, like, duct tape or whatever and go for it. I feel like that ought to have been a slightly bigger deal. It was just a weird moment. Yeah, I think it was just there to illustrate how crazy these demon lords are. But, yeah, I hear you. That should have been a larger moment. Anyway, you have anything else to say about this one, Dave? No, man. I tapped out. Okay, so that is going to do it for another episode of The Jetman with the Golden Gun. Before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out what we're talking about on Twitter, we are at supersentibros. If you like the show, and I hope you do, please remember, shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's what's going to help new people find the show. If you have already done that, you have my thanks. Uh... The Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Bros. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. We'll see you next week.